Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hung. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff so much. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news meshed together in new ways, which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we'll be looking at whether we're buying or selling various health IT news. Today's episode is sponsored by OneView. Learn more about their patient relationship management solutions at oneviewhealthcare.com. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 13 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. Are you excited to do buy sell? <laughs> yeah, no, this is going to be a lot of fun. I and mean, obviously inspired by some of the sports programs that I know you watch a lot of, John. So this will be good. Yeah, yeah, sports radio is my inspiration, so that that's good. <laughs> well, we've got a pretty good, pretty fun, pretty good episode today. We're going to try and keep it light. Um, our first topic we're going to talk about is should EMRs be as easy as iTunes? I know you wrote a recent blog about that. We're then going to no. switch and, and kind of take a look at a Twitter account uh, that's been uh, causing some uh, fun, fun stirs, our epic parody EMR. And then we're going to go into a round robin where we're just going to talk about some of the news pieces and whether or not we're buying or selling them. Sounds good. All right, let's get right into it, John. So let's talk about should EMRs be as easy as iTunes? Yeah, so, uh, you know, this really was spawned by someone who said, how come I have to do so much training on my EMR when I can just open iTunes and use it? And it just it bothers me when people try to make those comparisons. So I, I literally just in a gut reaction reacted to him and said, uh, no, you didn't have to train on iTunes, but you did have to train to drive a car. Uh, and, you know, and guess what? An EMR is probably more similar to like a fighter jet than it was in even a car because uh, it's that much more complex. And I don't know anyone that just hops in a fighter jet and starts flying it. Uh, and so, you know, to me, it's just it's unfair to compare using an EMR, which has a ton of complexity and a ton of requirements from both regulatory and financial reimbursement requirements to compare it to iTunes. You shouldn't be able to use an EMR without some training, in my opinion. Uh, and, and, you know, so that was the real discussion for me is, should it be? And, and my answer is no, that's like comparing two opposite things. It's interesting. I'm going to have to take a slightly opposite view to you, John. Uh, I agree that I think the uh, training is necessary because it is EMRs are complex. But the one thing about driving that isn't like an EMR is that after you've learned, the use of the device, the car, fades into the background. You no longer think about it. Right? You know how to drive the steering wheel. You know where the gas pedal and, and the, uh, the, 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 the brake is. And it just becomes a natural part of your day. Unfortunately, with EMRs, I don't think that's happened. I mean, we've had now years of this, and every day there's something different. Every day there's a new quirk, a new change, something new, and it's not necessarily better. It's just different. And so, unlike what like what a car is like and learning how to drive it, this an EMR doesn't fade in the background where it becomes second nature, where you can just get behind the wheel and it's just sort of, oh, I know what I'm doing. I think that's more the bigger issue, and and that I think is the, something that can be addressed and should be addressed. But I agree, the initial upfront 
I don't. I think it would be ridiculous to have someone just sit down and go, "Oh, I can know how to use this." Uh, I don't think that will ever happen. But I think the EMR should have a goal where eventually it's not so complicated where you have to always think about what you're doing while you're using it. Yeah. No, that's a that's a great analysis. But the challenge I have is, and, and let me be clear, I'm not letting the EHR vendors off the hook. They should do better at what they're doing, and they could do better. So you know that that I, I agree with people on, and I also agree that it should go into the background. And I think it does for some people when they're trained well enough and they've customized it well enough. It does go into the background in in, in a large respect, but. Uh, just the reality of what is required is is a real challenge. My, you know, my hope, and you, know, you can check it out on healthcareittoday.com and read the full article. But my hope is that there are some technologies that are going to make it just go into the background. When some of those include voice recognition or voice assistants that are in the exam room, that the doctor literally goes into the exam room, examines the patient, sees the patient. You know, the the uh, virtual assistant is listening and documenting the visit, so. That then they just go and basically verify the information that was collected by this virtual assistant so that it, it really does just fall into the background. So I think there is some hope that we could get there, but I don't know. To me, it's just not a productive, valuable discussion to say, why isn't it as good as iTunes? Because it will never be that good because it's just an order of magnitude more complex. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think it, to compare the two is unfair. Uh, I'm hoping that EMR companies will, you know, be inspired by tools like that and other consumer tools to bring some of those elements into their EMRs to make it easier to use. But yeah, I don't think I think it would be uh, an, uh, a waste of resources, if you will, to go all the way to that far because I don't think, as you say, I don't think it's necessary to make something where you didn't need training. Because you're going to need training on it, even if you know, even from a clinical perspective, just to know, hey, this is how you know this tool can be applied in this clinical situation. Uh, so I, I think I don't think you'll ever get rid of the need to train on a on a particular EMR. So I, on that, I agree with you. I just wish they did spend a little bit more time and effort making the tool a little bit more stabilized. So rather than trying to like move things around again and make it better, like so at some point you got to go. Let's just stick with what we have. Let's think of a better way to present the information, but yet keep the UI the same. So to give the people that chance to go, oh, you know, I always click on this box, the third box down, and I always go down two options to pick this. That's, I think, where you can get that efficiency back. Whereas right now, they're tweaking it so much so often where a doctor can't do that or a coder can't do that. Um, actually, nix that. I'm saying like the coder people, they're the people who know, I know exactly where all the layout is. I know how to tab down and they get so efficient at it where it does fade into the background. So I think you're right in your other statement, John, that there are parts of the EMR where that's happened, but there are many parts that aren't. Yeah, well, that's the analogy I linked to in the article as well. And I think I came up with this analogy about a decade ago when everyone was complaining about clicks. And I said, well, look at a concert pianist. What are they doing? They're clicking a lot <laughs> and it's not a problem. So I said, okay, well, why can a pianist play the piano so quickly with so many clicks and not have a problem? And I found two things that really came out of it. One is what you talked about basically, that when I click, I need a consistent response and I need to know 
where that response is, and I need to know where the key is. Imagine a piano player where you move C two slots over and you move E up a notch. You know, like that's essentially what we're doing with EHR users. We're saying, hey, guess what? I moved all the keys for you. Oh, and by the way, when you click, sometimes it, you'll hear a sound right away, and sometimes you'll hear a sound in three seconds, right? Like it would be impossible to play a piano quickly and do it effectively. And then the second was training. So obviously I can't play a piano as well as a concert pianist because they have a lot more training that they've trained on to be, to be able to do those clips. So if we solve both of those, I think we'll go a long way to having it feel more like iTunes and, and to your point, to fall into the background. I love it. I love it. And speaking of EMRs, let's go to our second topic. So there, recently there has been a, I don't know if it's recent or not, but there has been a sort of a more attention being given to a particular Twitter account. We've put up uh, on the screen for those that are watching a particular uh, tweet. I'll just read it quickly. It, basically what this tweet is saying is that it's amazing uh, what technology people can accomplish when smart, hardworking people work to create an efficient product. Uh, and what they're referring to is the fact that someone's Tesla was able to drive them home through three highways in the rain, and they made it through without a in rush hour. hour. In, rush in New hour. York, <laughs> in and busy so, New York. And the the punchline is, it makes you wonder why we can't create a product that will allow you to order Tylenol without a dozen clicks. So, John, what's your yeah, comment this on is that? A and we have to note also this was an EMR parody account, so they're they're making jokes about the EMR, and you know it's a very interesting account uh, that this is it's pretty entertaining. Sometimes the edge uh, a little too far, I think, but uh, but yeah, it is a good question, right? Uh, why can't we? do uh, something so simple as ordering a Tylenol without a massive number of clicks or, or other you know, challenges that in ordering in an EMR system when we can literally send someone to the moon, right? <laughs> like, I mean, that's what other people have said, or you know, we can have a Tesla drive all the way home through traffic in the rain, but yet a patient can't get access to their record. Uh, it's a reasonable question, but I think at the end of the day, the answer is probably money. Uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, where there's money, you know, people will pay for a Tesla. Uh, how many people are paying for that? Uh, you know, and obviously I think most doctors and hospital systems would say, well, we've spent a hundred million or a billion on our EHR, you know, so I guess we have spent the money. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the problem with that purchase was that most healthcare organizations bought billing engines. They didn't buy care engines. And a lot of people forget that part of the history of EMR. Yeah, that's exactly the point I was going to make, John, is that I think the origin point of EMRs is very different than the origin point of some of these technologies that, you know, people compare them to. You know, when Tesla started, they knew or they, you know, they wanted to have a self-driving car, a car that was so easy to operate that you didn't have to operate it. You know, yep. and they were they designed it that way. EMRs, I think the history is that they were they were built as billing systems to make billing very very efficient and very effective because back in the day doctors were not or and, and hospitals were having such an issue submitting information submitting billing information to their payers right so that's where this all started that's why documentation is so intense why you have to document everything you have to click everything and make sure everything is there before you submit it to the billers who had all these rules around getting reimbursed. So, you know, you take that as the base and you extend it forward, it, it kind of sort of you look at it and go, well, it's not surprising that what we have today are really glorified documentation systems versus care yeah. systems. Uh, and yeah, yeah, I agree that, you know, I think people forget that. But I also think that, you know, we've, we've been at this game long enough 
that we should have been making some pretty good strides here where yeah should it shouldn't been. really take a dozen clicks to order a Tylenol. Yeah, let alone the templates that allowed it, allowed an organization. I, I use the word upcode, but not in the uh, illegitimate, <laughs> illegal sense, but in the sense of actually billing for what you actually did, because the template allowed you to document what it was, which it then has no load, and you know that we're suffering from all of that as well. The interesting thing here is, do you think that there's an opportunity for the EMR to be disrupted? Because if we, if everyone hates this, right? Everyone hates note bloat. Everyone hates all the extra clicks. Everyone hates all the uh, you know all the documentation they have to do for meaningful use and all of those things. Is there an opportunity for anyone to disrupt, either an entrepreneur or you know God God forbid, at least in my view, I don't think they will. Uh, I wish they would, but I don't think it's in. I don't think they will. So maybe it's not that, but uh, you know, an Apple or a Google. Is there a disruption possible? You know, I think I think pockets of disruption are possible. I just think, unfortunately, there's too much other infrastructure that would need to change for true disruption. Like it would be amazing if we didn't have to document as much in order to get reimbursed. The problem with that, of course, is that there's this huge reimbursement mechanism that's been built up around these codes and you know this way and that way of filing things and and, the, and you know adjudicating them you'd have to you know sort of change that fundamentally in order to make you know a, a way better product uh, but i think there are pockets where you can go yeah well why why deal with a screen at all why not just talk to the emr why not uh why not have it where you can just type freely and then it could tell what you're what you meant and that you meant to order tylenol and, and let you verify as opposed to have to order it yourself right um you know, that kind of thing, I think there is potential for disruption, but I think fundamentally the infrastructure of healthcare is so established, it's going to take, you know, acts of parliament <laughs> or acts of rebellion <laughs> to change it. What's a parliament? But oh, yeah, I know. No, that's, my, that's my Canadianism. Coming out, right? Of Congress. No, but uh, we already started by sell, I guess, and you're selling. I'm selling too. Like uh, you know, people underestimate what it takes to disrupt this industry. So, yep, sell, sell, sell. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Hey, well, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with my partner, John Lin, and myself, Colin Hung. Today's episode is sponsored by the great folks at OneView Healthcare. They offer a solution that provides patients with a better experience by connecting them to entertainment, educational material, hospital services, health information, and even to their loved ones, all through an easy-to-use interface on a tablet, TV, or specialized device. The people at OneView are truly passionate about improving patient experience, and they support great organizations like Savvy Co-op and the Walk-In Gallery. Learn more at OneViewHealthcare.com. Nice. Love OneView. Love the people behind it. Uh, great people. Yeah. Every, every person I've ever met from OneView has just been fun. They're really down-to-earth, passionate folks. So great to have them as a sponsor today. So we're both buying OneView. There you go. We're both buying OneView. All right, John, let's get ready to get into the exciting part of today's episode in a new segment called Buying or Selling. Nice. I love this one. Uh, I stole it from my sports radio listening days. Uh, so the, you know, basically, we take a, a different topic and then we talk, are we buying that or are we selling it? Meaning, do, do we buy in that that's going to happen or are we selling it? No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I love it. This should be a lot of fun. So let's dive in on a couple of these topics. So first up, John, are you buying or selling that Alexa's HIPAA compliant apps will impact healthcare? 
So, I, you know, for those that haven't followed this, six different apps were handpicked by Amazon to have a HIPAA compliant app. And I think it's a great step forward for healthcare. But I'm selling that it's actually going to impact healthcare because I just don't think it's going to really change the needle. I think it's going to take our current processes and our current workflows and make them a little bit nicer. And then you know, a few patients will benefit from that. And that's great. And I don't think it's a bad thing. But I just don't see it transforming healthcare. It's not going to move the cost equation in any way. I do also, I'm not so sure we're going to see widespread adoption. You know, I don't see my mom hopping on and doing some Alexa app that's going to change her care uh, when she doesn't even have a cell phone. And yeah, I, I think we're, it's going to evolve, but I, I just don't see it moving the needle for healthcare as far as the cost equation or other things. Although it would be a nice thing, and I think it's a good thing. Interesting. I'm going to take the complete opposite side, John, and I'm going to say I'm actually buying this one, but not for the reason you think. I'm buying into this because I believe that with the amount of attention and hype and focus that's being put on what Amazon is doing through Alexa and the apps um, now being HIPAA compliant, you know, I think that it's actually going to cause a shift in the technology side of the business. People are going to want to follow what Amazon is doing. They're going to want to ape what Amazon is doing. And in that sense, I do think that what they're doing is going to have an impact on healthcare because I think it's going to set the tone for the technology industry to follow. So it's not really going to change anything clinical. It's not going to change outcomes. You're right. It may not even bend the cost curve, but I think it's going to definitely influence and impact healthcare from the technology side of things. And I'm excited about that. Yeah, we'll see when adoption's out. That's the best part of this feature is we can do where Colin and John were right and where Colin and John were wrong. That's a future future feature in a future episode. There you go. We'll go back and look at our batting record. All right, let's get on to the second let's get on the second one. The second thing, buying or selling. John, do you believe that the new info blocking rules will really stop info block info blocking? So uh, you know, would I want to leave anything up to government? That, that, uh, yeah, that, that's my hard part on this one. I'm not sure I'm going to trust the government to really be able to execute on this. So I, I'm definitely selling, and especially because it's something really hard to create a rule on it because there are plenty of legitimate reasons why an organization can block the info. Uh, and they're going to use those ways. So I, I, it's not actually, you know, in this case, I'm not discrediting the government who's making a good faith effort. I actually think it's more that it's just a problem that's not going to be solved through legislation or regulation. It has to be solved by patients requiring that and pushing it forward and consumers forcing the hand of the healthcare providers so that they start sharing. Otherwise, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I, I'm with you on this one, John. I'm selling this one too. Um, and you know, the reason why I'm selling it, or an, an additional reason why I'm selling it to what you just said, is that I just think that the rules lack teeth. I really don't think that the penalties and the consequences are really that big. And not to say that you know, meaningful blocking is lucrative, but I just think people won't put out a big priority on it because they go, yeah, the penalties are, I'm on the wall of shame, big deal, I mean, everyone else is. I just don't think it has the teeth that uh, people think it will. And so I think you know, it's just gonna, the, the info, information blocking will continue to happen, especially at the local level, where it's just you know, the technology has not kept up. And I don't think people can afford to switch and adopt these newer tools that have 
you know, solutions to this. So yeah, I'm with yeah. you on this one. I, I, I'm definitely selling. Well, they gave them six, six or eight. I forget the exact number of exceptions of here. Here's reasons why you don't have to. <laughs> so yeah. they're gonna take it. They're gonna take cool. that. What's they're next? gonna take that. All right. I didn't, the next one, John. Are you buying or selling? Are we making meaningful? Pro is meaningful progress being made on interoperability? So uh, this is a tough one because the bar is so low on what's you know, interoperability in the past. Uh, I guess fax machine is the most interoperable piece of healthcare. So you know we're not we're not trying to jump over a high bar to 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 do this. So I'm actually gonna buy on this one because. I think that interoperability is making progress and I think there are some organizations and I think it is pockets of progress, probably more than a nationwide progress on interoperability, but we're seeing pockets of progress where enough great healthcare leaders are saying, we need this to happen, so let's make it happen. And I think that's where we're seeing success as opposed to some nationwide framework, which I think is actually just too ambitious and maybe even impossible to implement. So I think we are seeing progress in that regard, uh, but maybe not on the national level. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to sell on this one, John. <laughs> uh, I think you're right. There are individual organizations that are doing things to make themselves more interoperable, whether that's with care coordination, uh, you know, better care coordination between SNFs and acute care facilities. Uh, so there's certainly some things happening there. But I think on a grand level, I don't think we're making any meaningful progress towards interoperability. I think we're making progress on standards, but <laughs> those standards are not being adopted. They're not being followed. They're being implemented all differently, which kind of defeats the point of a standard. But I think there's a lot of talk around the thought of interoperability still, but not any meaningful progress towards it at a national level. So I'm selling on this one. That's interesting. I would say actually we're, we're making progress on interoperability despite the the flavors <laughs> of standards that are out there. So, well, I mean, people should chime in on Twitter. Uh, mention at tech guy or at Colin underscore Hung. Let us know what you think. Uh, this is a good one. It'd be interesting to hear what people think. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, listen. I want to be wrong on this one. I hope that we <laughs> do get this solved and then we can stop talking no. about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we all will. But hey, what, what what will we do at the next set of conferences if we're not talking about interoperability? We'll find something else, right? <laughs> uh, well, I can find something. Trust me. We'll talk AI. <laughs> I'm, sure we, I'm sure we can. All right, let's get into the next the next one. John, are you yeah. buying or selling? Are hospitals the next blockbuster video? Uh, you know, this has been spreading around Twitter sphere and people are saying, yeah, you're going to go the way of Blockbuster or, you know, uh, that hospitals are going to be the relics if they're not careful. And um, yeah, I mean, I see where they're coming from. It makes sense that uh, a lot of our care is going to become virtual. And we see that happening, and they, I think that will be a huge benefit to many patients, to many healthcare organizations. But I think it's pretty ridiculous to think hospitals will be gone. There's too many interventions that need to happen where a hospital is necessary. There's too many treatments that need to happen in a hospital. So I think they will evolve. So I, I think that's fair to say that there will be different things that are done there. And maybe they actually will be smaller than they were, which I think is actually a good thing. But they're certainly not the blockbuster video where they're going to be totally replaced. They're still going to have a great revenue model. So I'm, I'm selling this. Uh, hospitals will be around a while. 
<laughs> I'm I'm kind of buying this one, but with one caveat. I would buy it if it said hospitals on the next blockbuster video, in the sense that I think they are going to be very different, and their model, like what they are doing today, is not going to be what they're doing tomorrow. I agree with you that they're going to be around because you're right. There are certain interventions that absolutely cannot go anywhere. But the the why I'm buying into this is that. I look at companies like the Walgreens and the CVSs of the world and the Amazons and, and employers who are getting into the space. And what they're doing is they're trying to find cheaper, uh, more effective uh, alternatives to a lot of what hospitals find lucrative today. And I think as they eat into those margins, hospitals are going to be forced to figure out, well, how, they, how are they going to make money, essentially? How are they going to exist? Just caring for the sickest of the sick, which is kind of where things are going. Right. And I think in that sense, if they're not careful, they could be relegated to being a blockbuster video. If they can't figure out a way to adapt to that new world where they're at the sort of top end of that pyramid, where the most you know, expensive care, very specialized care, when they can't rely on like imaging services or orthopedic surgeons anymore to drive the revenue, then I think they will go the way of the dodo bird and, and blockbuster video. So. Well, that actually brings up a different point than I think that most people look at the blockbuster video analogy. Uh, if you're talking about the surgery centers, those are eating up hospital profit margins in a big way. Uh, I think it will also be interesting if, if ambulances started taking patients to an urgent care rather than the ED, that would be a big change too. But uh, I don't see that happening for a while. Yeah, you know, I think it was uh, Bezos, he's quoted as saying, you know, your margin is his opportunity, right? And there are plenty of margins at the sort of transactional level of healthcare, which is where a lot of the retail healthcare is happening today. And yeah, it hasn't really affected the hospital world just yet because it really has affected more of the PCP world and, and sort of physician practice world. But I think it's only a matter of time before, yeah, you know, they're gonna come out with some of the services that a typical hospital would provide. And then you're gonna see that crunch happening where you know, all of a sudden the margins have been eroded, they're being taken away by these other retailers and these other players, and then where are they gonna go? So I think the smart ones are gonna survive. I mean, you can start to see some of the new models already that are coming out, and, and people like the Cleveland Clinic and Mayo Clinic and those people, they're already at sort of that that level. But I think it's more of the, the, the mid-tier hospitals who are so dependent on these lucrative services that have to be worried about what's going on here. Yeah, your point about the income statement changing for a hospital, that's actually a big one. And uh, yeah, I think five years from now, 10 years from now, when we look at the income statement, where they get their revenue from is going to be totally different. So that may be true. Yeah. Then, John, that really brings us to the end of this episode. Can you believe it? Number 11. Yeah, I like buy and sell. We need to do that again. <laughs> so thank you to all of you who listen, who tuned in and listened to this episode of Healthcare IT Today. You can find more details about our show by checking out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hung with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lin. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.